1: This past Monday was our biggest podcast yet. Thanks to all of you for listening and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, rating and review the GM Shuffle. In fact, Mike, we got this comment from Tinslow. Love the podcast, but I'm automatically unsubbing if Lombardi stops or limits his profanity. Thanks for the real in-depth comment. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. This is one from 600 Tis please change your theme music you guys have amazing tastes in all things but not your theme slash bumper music it is so bad it gives me a headache please change it please please joe this one's for you what do you have to say about our music
0: i mean uh, i guess I guess we'll do it i guess we'll change it i'll give you guys some options later today
2: <laughs> there we go joe that, that's all you know i mean at least I, I like the fact that people listen to the theme music
1: oh yeah Uh, Two more here for you, Cal G. It's measured and informative, particularly insightful, especially compared to the hyperbolic clickbait you get from ESPN. Oh, baby. Shots fired, Mike.
2: Shots fired, yeah.
1: And one more here, P. Jackal. Be careful. Listening to this podcast will ruin most of their NFL podcasts and TV shows for you. Michael Lombardi actually offers insight into what's going on in the NFL. That sounds simple, but it's rare. I really appreciate this podcast. We appreciate all of you. Man, those are some great comments. That's awesome. That's coming. Speaking of insight, you're hearing everybody else talk about Jalen Ramsey, but how about our thoughts on the trade? I'll be blunt here, Mike. I don't like it. I don't like it anyway (laughs) from Sunday. I don't like it for the Rams because basically what you're saying is it's Super Bowl or bust. You're giving up a lot of picks here. Jalen Ramsey is who you get. He's one of the best cornerbacks in football. And the Jaguars get three draft picks, including the Rams' next two first-round selections and a fourth round pick in 2021. But as you and I have talked about, there's not nearly enough depth on this Rams team. Whitworth is declining at left tackle. You know, plugging in Rams, you all sudden, okay, that's a huge upgrade. But to Tlaib's on injured reserve. You trade Marcus Peters. You don't get much for him. You should have just waited till the end of the year. You could have got a compensatory pick. They trade Marcus Peters for Kenny Young and a fifth round pick in the draft.
2: I don't like it at all from the Rams. How about you? You know, when you look at it, you know, it certainly wins the press conference, and it gets all the talking heads to say, well, now they got Jalen Ramsey, they're headed to the Super Bowl, and it's easy to put one to one. But two plus two, you know, in the NFL rarely equals four. And when you – I've never seen a team have five years of not having a first-round pick and survive. I've just never seen it. You know, the NBA won't allow you to do it. The NBA forces you to have alternate years where you can't go one for one. So the Rams – Last first round pick until 2020, 2022, will have been Jared Goff. They go 17-01, 18-01, wow. 19-01, 20-01, 2021-01. That's, that's hard to do. So, really, what they're becoming, and you know this probably better than anybody, is they're becoming the Yankees when they went all in on the free agency and left their farm system to die. Yeah. Do you remember that? That's a great comparison. You're right. You know, we're going all in on free agency, and we got all these guys, and Barbershop Mike's getting pissed off because they're trading these two prospects for these two hitters. And, you know, he's walking around with his sporting news saying, these guys are good players, and we just traded them, you know. He still hasn't gotten over the Kenny Phelps trade. But anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, you're dealing this, and so now you're looking at your football team, and you're saying, okay, how do we come up with this? Like, how do we get depth on our team? We know this. We know that Donald was a first-round pick. Goff's a first-round pick. Gurley's a first-round pick. Ramsey's a first-round pick. Cook's a first-round pick. And they're all going to eat up our cap. And they're our best players. They're our five best players. you know. And I I think, to me, this is really, truly a desperation move of of building a stadium. And I think they want star power in L.A. I think they feel like if they don't have names of players, they won't get people to come watch. And I think that's the motivation behind it. It's very, very solution-based. It's not sustainable. And when you give up five ones and there's other leagues that legislate against you trading ones like this, you got to think about this and say, wait a minute, how are we going to develop this now? You know, if you're in the building and you want to make this move because you're impatient you're less need, you're saying, look, we don't need ones. We'll find players in the middle rounds. Okay, great, good. See how that works out for you. See how that works. Look at your team right now. Have you found any offensive linemen that could come in and play? Because you stink in the offensive line. Right? You know, everybody said when Cooper Cup came back, it's Jared Goff's going to be back to normal. Don't even worry about it. He missed Cooper Cup. He missed Cooper Cup. Every solution doesn't have an easy answer. And you mentioned the fact
1: they've got so much money here tied up with certain guys. And it's like, you're just hoping to hit home runs on big names. It doesn't necessarily work that way. For example... Listen, the Peters move did not work out. Fine, that happens, and maybe he'll get rejuvenated with the Ravens. You know, for the Ravens, it's a win, because maybe you can get Peters to shore up your corners, and you're only giving up Kenny Young in a fifth-round pick. But I mentioned Tlaib. He's 33 years old, big-name player, uninjured reserve. Maybe he can come back to the playoffs. Clay Matthews is 33 years of age, and Todd Gurley is a running back with bad knees and you've already committed a bunch of money to him. And the Jared Goff selling doesn't look particularly strong, especially in relation to his talent, his ability versus the money you pay. Like that's that's an overpay right there. And all of a sudden, like you said, you're just trying to plug these holes by getting big names. You got to win the Super Bowl. It's it's Super Bowl or bust. If you win the Super Bowl, hey, congratulations, you were right. And here's the numbers on Ramsey. The, the receiver that he's targeting, you know, the quarterback percentage is uh, completion percentage is 56%. So there's no question this guy is a shutdown corner. No one is arguing his talent. And by the way, is... You, them the, you know what? Yeah, well, so you know what? So are other guys, right? Ty Law, Deion Sanders, those guys weren't the easiest guys to get along with. So I get that. He's 24 years old. Also, the Rams were 31st in opponent QBR. So the defense is awfully suspect. But I'm with you. I just think you're giving up too much, right? And you're not going to get enough of a return.
2: Well, here's the facts. Okay, so they're, they're 31st. In pa- Wade Phillips is only going to play. He plays two things. He's going to play man free and he's going to play a little bit of cover three, but very little, okay? And he wants to rush five and play man behind it. He really needs three corners. He doesn't need two corners. He needs three because when you play man-to-man as much as Wade does, you got to have three guys that can hold up. That's why when Chris Harrison, when he was in Denver and they won the Super Bowl, they were good at corner, and you really couldn't find a weakness that you wanted. You couldn't find – you couldn't really attack Bradley Roby. You wanted to, and he was certainly susceptible, but they were always compensating for Roby, So they had Harris, and they had Tlaib, and then they had Robey. So they had three corners. If you're in Los Angeles and you just put Ramsey out there over at left corner, let's say, and he's playing, I, I'm not throwing the ball over there. Like, I don't give a shit. You know, put him wherever you want. Like, to me, this only works. This only works if Ramsey guards the number two receiver on the team. If he guards the number two, this whole bullshit about, I'm going to go guard Julio Jones, big, macho, one-on-one, that's the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard in my life. It's ridiculous, right? It's the stupidest fucking thing you could possibly do. Why would I put my best player? Why would I put my best player on your best player? Am I in a macho contest here? Why wouldn't I tilt it to get an advantage? I'll put my best player on your second best receiver. And you know what? Julio's going to see double coverage every single day by two slappies that really can't cover anybody. But they can cover, the two of them can cover one guy, right? That makes the most sense for this. It makes the most sense. And where Wade's going to get into problems is Wade's not going to have enough rush. They got Donald. Fowler, you know, they traded last year for Fowler and I didn't think Fowler was a very good player for Jacksonville and he wasn't. And he came to Los Angeles and they did a great job of getting him better and he's improved. So now they got Fowler, they got Blake Bortles, they got all the Jacksonville ones on there and Jalen. So maybe they'll get Jalen to even play at a higher level. But for me, it's going to come down to where's the depth and can they get another rusher to play with Donald? They could not put any pressure with two backup tackles. They got Garoppolo, but they really couldn't put pressure on Garoppolo. That wasn't really what the game was. They couldn't cover, and they couldn't put pressure. I'm telling you, I don't think you can build a football team with your cap, having all the money, and then having a bunch of guys in between. I think football's a game of depth. I think it's a game of attrition. I think it's a game that you have to have a lot of good players on your team. You need stars, but you got to have a lot of good players, too. You need quality depth. If not, people will find weakness. And the Rams are going to see this. Jalen Ramsey might go through a game, Nan without getting his uniform dirty at all. He may he may not see any targets if they don't have another corner on the other side. And don't give me this, well, you know, Coleman's a good player or Troy Hill or any of those guys. That No, no, stop. Stop. They're not, you know. And I think that's going to be the problem. Here's what's crazy too, Mike. On the other side of it, the
1: Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, they went from Saxonville. They went from, hey, this ferocious defense, maybe the best defense in football, a quarterback who won't make mistakes, who will get things done under pressure. He's not great, but Blake Bortles is, is better than you think. And they got this great running game. Leonard Fournette, this guy's a beast. He's going to run for 2,000 yards, et cetera. And all of a sudden, They completely get exposed as fraudulent. They were 10 minutes away from the Super Bowl, and now they're a team in shambles. And Shad Khan did not want to trade Jalen Ramsey, the owner. He met with him. He spoke to him. said, no, he's going to come back for week six against the Saints. And no, that didn't happen. Okay, we have no other choice here. We're going to have to trade this guy. And as I said earlier, yeah, you got your picks. You know, you got the Rams' next two first-round selections and a fourth-round pick in 2021. But it's awfully tough to think you're going to draft the next Jalen Ramsey. Right? You are not going to draft maybe the best cornerback in football. So you you take what you can get, you try to replenish, but this is a team which really has a lot of issues.
2: Right. I think this to me there's a there's a really there's a story and we should do this in the offseason. Do a documentary on Jacksonville at 10. Jacksonville at 13:37 is up 20 to 10. They go 3 and out in the in the game. They come back at 8 44 to go in the fourth quarter. They're up 20 to 17. They get one first down and they punt the ball back. They come back with 5.53 to go in the game up 20-17. to They punt it back. They can't quite get it done. So they go home and they lose that game and they have all thousand reasons why they lose the game. But the, the core issue why they lose the game is they really don't have enough play from their quarterback. Their quarterback couldn't make enough play. But they convinced themselves he could. He was 23 for 36 in the game, long pass of 29, and his quarterback rating was 98.5. But in the fourth quarter, in critical drives, when he had to make a play, he couldn't make one. But yet they went home and they said, you know what? He's our guy. He's our guy. And they did something that most people do in the National Football League is they take the path of least resistance, right? I tell this story all the time about when I do speaking engagements. I tell this story. I think it's so prolific about most people about how they handle things so that comes from i love lucy of all places nice. right so lucy's in her bedroom and her wedding ring falls off her finger and she immediately drops to the floor and she looks for it she can't find it so you know a couple scenes later we see ricky come through that front door that if you guys are old enough to remember you know we can all see the visuals of the living room right he comes in she he finds lucy on the on the floor in the living room and he says what are you doing down there and she says, well, I'm, look, I'm looking for my wedding ring. She said, I lost my wedding ring. I can't find it. She's all on the floor crawling around. He says, well, where did you lose it? She said, I lost it in the bedroom. <laughs> and he looks at her stunningly and says, well, why are you looking in the living room? And she says, because the light's better out here. <laughs> and that's what Jacksonville did. They found the light. They thought the light was better with Blake Bortles. So they did something that Dabo Sweeney didn't do. They did something that Dabo Sweeney, a great leader, a man who's willing to build a culture and who's make tough decisions. Because you don't get these fucking jobs if you can't make tough decisions. You don't get these jobs to look for the wedding ring in the living room. You get these jobs because you got to make tough decisions. So Dabo makes the tough decisions. He says, Kelly Bryant, you're good. I really appreciate you, man. I love you, but you ain't good enough. You're not going to let me beat Alabama. And so I'm going to play Trevor Lawrence here, and you're going to have to go somewhere else because you're not good enough. Meanwhile, Jacksonville says, Blake, we love you. We drafted you. We're going to pat ourselves in the back. We're going to spend all our time looking in the living room for our wedding ring because we lost it in the bedroom. So we're going to do that. So we're going to pass to Sean Watson. We're going to pass on Patrick Mahomes. We're going to pick a running back to help our team. And then three years later, we're going to wonder why we're in this mess. There it is right there. there. There's the story right there. They refused to make a tough decision because they were spending all their time in the living room looking for the wedding ring when it was lost in the bedroom and they refuse to acknowledge that Blake sucked. They refuse to acknowledge it. All these moves can come back to one word, Blake. Because of the misevaluation of Blake, it all goes back to this. And this is the problem. This is the problem. So you collect all these draft picks, right? We got this team. They're 10 minutes away. They're 550 to go. They're up by 3. Now, if they have the Sean Watson on this team, let's say they let's say they decide to spend all their time in the bedroom to find that ring. And they picked Deshaun Watson. Where is this team today? Completely different team. You're
1: right, man. And now you think about it. you got Minshew mania, and maybe Gardner Minshew was the difference. But you still got
2: $21 million locked up to Nick Foles. So maybe that was a mistake you made signing him. Right. You know, the thing that I think – Al Davis used to say this all the time, and you can understand this and appreciate this. He hated baseball teams that had two great pitchers, and they needed hitting. So they would trade one pitcher to get a hitter. So now they're just, just average in pitching and average in hitting, right? He always used to say, oh, fuck, we're going to build on strength here. Strength to strength. He used to say that a thousand strength to strength. I get nausea hearing it. Like, we didn't have any strengths, and he kept telling me strength to strength, you know? And it's true. You build on strength. Jacksonville strength was their D-line, so keep held it on strength. They didn't have a quarterback. He wasn't their strength. Get rid of him. It was easy. It was easy to look at Blake Bortles and say, Blake, you're not good enough, man. If Dabo Sweeney can tell Kelly Bryant goodbye you got to make hard decisions. It's obvious. And say, well, you didn't evaluate it correctly. Well, look, you could say, well, Lombardi, you're second-guessing. Bullshit. I'm first-guessing, as Art Modell used to tell me. I I said this back, but when they did it, the reason they got there was because of their defense, not because of Blake Bortles. But no, they refused to evaluate the quarterback, so they went through it. They could have had Watson all through this playoff year. You know, sure, I know that Watson, before all these games, Watson was he would have been had been on their team. I get that, but the reality of it is is because they misevaluated Watson, they were never able to put themselves in position to do it. So what do they do in the next draft? They draft some defensive lineman that hasn't really played Byron and they haven't been able to move forward. So for me, I think this is all about misevaluation of Bortles.
1: It's crazy to think about. Like you said, one mistake can have catastrophic consequences. By the way, make a great decision and follow us on Instagram, at the GM Shuffle. That's right, at the GM Shuffle. Do not make a mistake like the Jaguars did in drafting Blake Bortles and believing in him. As we continue our Make Me Smarter segment, Penalties and referees this year. Booger McFarlane just going crazy on Monday Night Football. Trey Flowers gets called the hands of the face. Second penalty. A devastating move there as it impacted the Lions as the Packers get the winning field goal and win that game on Monday Night Football. In the NFL, increasing sense right now. Referees are just getting blasted everywhere. Uh, That was an unnecessary roughness penalty on... uh, Also, Lions defensive back Tracy Walker. Then there was that illegal contact penalty on D.N. Trey Flowers in that game. Now, referee Clint Blakeman... Defended Walker's penalty. That was the Lions DB had the unnecessary roughness. But NFL executive Troy Vincent did say the next day, on Tuesday, the Flowers penalty should not have been called. Thanks so much. Under two minutes to go with the Packers driving. Oh, by the way, shouldn't have been a call. Mike, what was your reaction? Was it as bad a call as everybody else was saying?
2: Well, they're horrible calls, right? They're really ridiculous calls. But, I mean, to me, you go to the game and you know you're going to get bad calls. You know, you can't focus on it. I mean, look, the reality of that game came down to simply this. The Lions sucked in the red zone. The Lions really had every opportunity to win that game. When it was 13 to three or 13 to, you said to yourself, that's when they kicked the field goal to make it 13 and didn't get the ball in the end zone. You said to yourself, this is bad. This is going to come back to bite us in the ass because if we're not if we're kicking field goals playing Aaron Rodgers, we are going to be susceptible to be beaten. And it was look, this whole NFL refereeing thing is a complete freaking mess. I mean, it's a complete mess. Nobody knows that Donna Ponte runs the referees. She's in charge of the referees. We hear Troy Vincent right? Like there's never been like there should be an investigation on actually how things operate in the league office. Actually, that whether Al Riveron is sleeping or not. I mean, what is he doing on Sunday? Like, I want to know the menu. Like, I want to, know I get here at nine. I put my pajamas on. I take a good nap. I wake up, go for a jog, you know, cause I'm convinced they're only put this mechanism in place for the playoffs. And of course, they've got their spokesman, Rich McKay, who comes out and says, you know, it's all working fine. Everything's good. Everything's in order. That's what Rich McKay gets paid to do. He gets paid to say whatever they tell him to say. That's what he that's, that's his whole role. That's been his role, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's gonna do any investigating because they don't even know that Donna Ponte runs the goddamn thing. She's in charge of it. It's not Troy Vincent in charge of it. She is. She that's her department. And I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying that's what we don't even they don't even know what's going on internally. As screwed up as you might think it is, it's worse internally. And they've changed the direction of this a thousand times. Like, I'm convinced now that call in the Saints game, which has put all this mechanism into place, wouldn't get overturned because they can't go to -to helmet-to-helmet. It wasn't helmet-to-helmet, so they can't overturn it. That's crazy, by the way, because
1: you're right. One play all of a sudden has these colossal impacts. And part of it, too, I've heard, Mike, the conversation being had that, Okay, fans may be overreacting, but the NFL is not doing all that they can, and referees, like, should it now be a full-time role? How much time do these guys have improving
2: their skills, so to speak, and avoiding these botched calls? Look, they need leadership, right? You know, as Jimmy Altieri says, this is a paramilitary organization, it ain't the Dave Clark Five, right? They need (laughs) leadership, right? They need it so that they get, and by the way, who's that woman who's never seen the Sopranos on Twitter that you said she needs to see the, I mean, I guess this is absurd. The, that was horrible. She, yeah, she's a terrific baseball reporter for SNY and she just randomly tweets,
1: I've never seen the Sopranos. I'm like, what? How is that possible? I, I immediately had to comment on it and tag you.
2: Why would she, why would she admit that in New York City? She should, she'll be in witness protection. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anyway, meanwhile, back to the ranch. I mean, they don't have any leadership. It's pretty clear. Nobody has a directive. Even Mike Pereira is sitting there trying to analyze things. He has no directive. Blandino has. They they have no idea what's going on. And these officials are making calls. Look, hands to the face. Are you kidding me? And I appreciate what Matt Patricia said. Matt Patricia said we had too many plays in the game, we could have won it. we could have avoided that call, which is exactly what you have to say. Yeah, that was classy of him, I agree. Because you can't go into this because they're gonna they're gonna screw you every chance they get. They're gonna make some ridiculous call that has no business being called. And if you challenge pass interference after week 6 of the season, if you going into week 7, if you challenge you're an idiot. At that point they've made up their mind, right? What are you trying to argue with what they're they're doing? Just accept the mandate and go. Yeah, they're not going to overturn it. We it's confirmed he's sleeping. He's had breakfast, he's taken a nap. He's Don't wake him up. <laughs> since you mentioned uh, Pereira and Blandino, I've always wanted to know, do you
1: think that's a good job, bad job, fun job? If we could get Mike Lombardi in the booth, like if DAZN gets NFL rights one day, I'm like, hey, we're going to have Michael Lombardi as our NFL rules expert. Is that a job you'd be clamoring to do?
2: No, no, I I don't. You know, like I I admit I mute the TV on Monday because I can't take Booger. I mean, I think Booger's a wonderful guy, but I mean, he sometimes he goes off on some tangents that I just, you know, like, okay, that's enough, you know? (laughs) I mean that's enough stop you play defensive line you really don't understand coverages to the degree you think you do and you start talking about some of the shit that you're talking about no 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 no, no. I'm, I'm out but I mean nice guy and, and and I love Tess Tess is the best he can't wait to call shallow cross he loves to call shallow cross that's a shallow cross coming across <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's the best uh, shallow no, cross
1: there's no reason we need to get Tess on the podcast because you and him oh my god Italians
2: Sopranos I mean he grew up around like uh, friends of the, yeah. oh I'd love oh. to have on. It's awesome. But I love when he says shallow cross. And actually, I think I keep I unmuted just to hear him say shallow cross. It's so good. It's the best. But I mean, like, I think to me what we miss on the broadcast is, and I know we need sideline reporters, and this is not an anti-feminist thing at all whatsoever, because I think people down there need to give you information. I think Michelle DeFoya does a great job going down there. But somebody else should be down there watching what the coaches are telling the players, right, that understand the game. Like the Saragusa role when Fox, although Tony was too lazy to do really any work. Yeah, they said he mailed it in just trying to make bad jokes. And he wanted to get back to his boat up here at Point Pleasant. I mean, you know, he, I think his boat was parked next to the Stugats, <laughs> But anyway, so you need somebody on the sideline that knows the game, that can hear what they're saying is, hey, look, next time when we come out and they get in that bunch, we're going to just, we're just going to banjo with the car. We're going to play, the, or they're going to do this, or they're going to, the fans want to know the chess match. That's what we're missing. We're missing the chess match. We're missing, okay, they do Y, we're going to do B. When they do C, we're going to do E. You know, this is what they're doing. This is what's going on. Hey, when we're in 11 personnel, you know, they're not counting our tight end as a tight end. Okay, so we need to do this, you know, and we're going to run. And why are they running the ball? They're running the ball because we're in nickel and we don't have enough big guys in there. It's not because they've established a run. No, I mean, explain the game. That's what drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, I agree. You do always want a little bit more insight. Then it almost feels like it's kind of like what Todd McShay does, actually, of the ESPN College Football, right? Because you have Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, then you have McShay on the field. He's like a second analyst that can actually interpret what's happening, which is always beneficial.
2: Right. And he's not in a booger booth where he's going back and forth. He's actually can get on the sidelines and he can see it and he can hear what they're saying to the kids and okay, hey, here's how we're going to play this next call. And and you can't come out. Nobody wants to hear how you built the robot, right? They just want to know what's going what the robot's right. going to do, right? So, you know, hey, look for the next time they come out. They're going to play they're going, we're going to get heavy blitz here because they're going to, you yeah. know, whatever it is. I don't know whatever it is. The fans don't want to know about the angle of the H2 pass. They don't want to know the the depth of the in cut, you know what I mean? No. Oh, exactly, But they yeah. want to know whose fault it is for the interception. They do want to know that. Right,
1: exactly. What are they saying? How are they going to adjust, et cetera? Coming up after the break, the Oakland Raiders have done a great job at avoiding losses this season. Can they keep it up against a tough Green Bay team this week? Mike and I discuss that matchup and tell you which games will cover the spread after this break.
0: Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 8778 hope and Y or text HOPE-N-Y-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Alright, now let's talk about some games. By the way, first and foremost, Mike is 16 and 11 against the... 10, 10, You're 10. Doing 10. You're doing even better, me. right? Lombardi, last week was a tough week for you.
2: Yeah, it's a tough week, but it's 16 and 10. You're killing me. Don't cheat me out. I don't want to lose that one loss. I can't, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm sure I'll make it up this week, but no, it, it, last week it was weird. I, You know, I... You know what I think, and and, and somebody on Twitter gave me this and said, you know, you're you're right. You know, you have the sharp money, and then you have the betters and all this crap. Then my notes said, like, Seattle should beat Cleveland. Like, that was the way. And all the sharp money was coming in on Cleveland. So I thought, well, somebody tweeted me out and said, I'm not betting Cleveland after what you said about all the things of that. And and it was right. It's the same thing with Jacksonville. Like, all the numbers said it should have been New Orleans, but I went with Minshew Mania. And so this week, you know what I stopped doing? I just stopped. I stopped. I'm not listening to any of that crap. I'm just going by what what I think the matchups are, how they favor it, and let it go from there. And at the end of the day, that'll be about 58% right because that's all that matters. I think you have to do it that way. Once you start getting skewed or listening to too much shit, I think you get messed up.
1: Let's do it then. Raiders and Packers. The line right now, Packers minus six and a half. It's at Lambeau Field. Here's my biggest concerns here for the Raiders. Their defense allowing a quarterback rating of 103.8. That's 26th in the NFL. Eight yards per attempt. They're only 28th in sacks and they're 31st in yards after the catch allowed. And now they've got to face Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense, which has 290 rushing yards the last two weeks.
2: Yeah, you know, and I think this, I think you're dead on right. I mean, you're dead on right, and I think the, the Packers, but I think the Raiders will play this game coast because I think the Raiders will do a good job of controlling the football. They've done a great job this year. They've had the ball almost 32 minutes a night. They have 31-24. They average 4-9 a carry. Right, and they're able to stop the run. The one thing they've been able to do is stop the run. They haven't given up a lot of run now. you got to throw the ball to beat them, and I think the Packers receivers' situation is kind of problematic there because Devontae Adams isn't coming back this week. So I like the Raiders. Where the Raiders have excelled, if you just understand football, the Raiders' offense is all about first down, the most important down in football, and they're able to win first down. And the other thing they've been really good at doing is they, the best team in the NFL and not having negative plays. Now, what does that mean? That means on first and 10, they gain positive yards, right? They win first down and now they're in a, now they're in a down and distance they can control and they can convert on third down. They're the, they're one of the fewest teams in the league to have third and 10. That's really good. Now, you know me and I hate third and manageable, but the way the Raiders have to play, is they have to play this way, and they control the clock, and they win first down, and they make plays. And I think coming off the bye week, if they put the right shoes on, because that's a goddamn slippery slope up there, I think they'll cover the spread. Here's
1: one surprise here, looking at your notes here, Mike. Some of the stuff you've noticed is the fact the Raiders are the slowest team on
2: both sides of the ball. The Raiders? I mean, that's crazy. I know. He would go crazy. He would be, oh, fuck, averaging 99 yards per catch. Can you imagine that for the Raider team? You know, there's no red zone for us. The field's the red zone. That's what he used to say all the time. The field's the red zone, you know, (laughs) because we could stretch the field. We're going to take what we want. We're not going to take what the defense gives us, God damn it. And and so – (laughs) always a goddammit after the end, you know. But they are slow. They are slow. They have no team speed whatsoever, and it scares you. And I think on a grass field, on this field in Green Bay, I don't think the Green Bay speed's going to get them. I think they'll play it close. I think they'll be able to run the ball. I think it'll be a close game. I think the Raiders will cover. I'm not sure the, the, the Raiders can beat them, but I think the Raiders will cover.
1: All right, let's talk about Baltimore at Seattle. The Seahawks plus three and a half. This is a five and one team. Baltimore right now is four and two. Russell Wilson, very much in the MVP conversation, 9.0 yards per attempt, zero interceptions all year. As the Ravens got to keep him in the pocket, 30 passes defended, 25 by opponents. They've got 37 quarterback hits and 11 sacks.
2: Can this ball? Baltimore defense, slow down Wilson. I think this game really is all about when we, we find out who wins this game, it's going to be the team that has the ball the most. I mean, these are both two teams that love to control the football, and these are both two defenses that really can't play 30 minutes. And so this is a game where the Ravens have done a remarkable job of controlling the football. They control it 36 minutes. Seattle controls it 32. So both these teams are able to pace the game and keep their defenses, which are not very good off the field. I think this will be a really good game. Both teams can execute. Their passes and completions are high. This is a good game to watch because I think it's unique styles and both quarterbacks are different. I like Baltimore to cover. I like the three and a half. I think you got to have the half point here. I think that's critical. Baltimore will play close games. I think they'll move the ball. Will Disley's injury I think is going to hurt Seattle in the long haul. He's got to find somebody, Russell Wilson, that he's comfortable with, and they've got to keep him in the pocket. Like I would tell the defensive line coach if I was coaching the Baltimore Ravens, look, we are not at the fucking pool this week. There's no swims. We're not swimming up the field, okay? Like when you play Russell Wilson – you just keep him in front of you. You can't let him get you can't go past him. When you go past him, you're gonna as Belichick would say, We get, we got what we deserve. You get what you deserve when you go past him. You gotta bull rush and keep him in front. No swimmers. Keep the trunks at home.
1: Uh to keep the trunks at home. I like that. That's the motto here for the shufflers. Saints at the Bears. New Orleans five and one. Chicago three and two. The Bears are favored minus three, despite the fact they haven't thrown for 210 yards all season. The running game is averaging just 3.4 yards per carry, and they haven't gained 300 yards of offense all year. Mitchell Trubisky against that Saints defense. How do you like that?
2: You know, I think that's uh, Mitch, MVP Mitch. Oh, my God. You know, the thing I think, too, and we didn't talk about this in the beginning, and it's probably a good place to talk about it here, the Bears are headed on the same path that Jacksonville set it on. They got a really good team. They got a really good team. They don't have a quarterback. And if Ryan Pace – Ryan Pace should pay really close attention to what's, what happened in Jacksonville. He should almost have somebody in his office do a complete study on how Jacksonville fell apart, and what he, the study's going to come back to him and say that we misevaluate the quarterback. And if he continues to misevaluate MVP Mitch, then his franchise is going to be going down the same road that Jacksonville went down, and he's going to have to do some things that is that he's not comfortable. He's going to have to be Lucy in the bedroom, not Lucy in the in the living room. He's going to have to start really deciding to not look where the light's best and make a hard decision because MVP Mitch ain't his quarterback. Because MVP Mitch has got three touchdown passes this year, all against the Bay of Washington Redskin team. So I don't see that. You know, I see that now as he says he's going to play this week. I think Dennis Allen has done a tremendous job. He'll pressure this Bears offense. I think this is the make or break time for the Bears. The Bears can't afford to lose this game. If the Bears lose this game, I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't think they're in the playoff hunt. As good as they are on defense, I think their defense will rally and play better because I think the Saints will have a hard time. Kamara's not 100%. They brought Travis Cadet in for a workout this week. I don't think Kamara's 100%. I think the thing they got to be able to do is find a running game. they got to find a running game in Chicago, and this this Saints team has played really well. I keep thinking they're going to stub their toe. I'm going to take the Bears. I think the Saints will win, but I'm going to take the Bears and lay the points.
1: All right, Saints uh, defense, by the way, it's interesting. They haven't allowed 100 yards rushing since Seattle, so that's not a good matchup there for Chicago in terms of trying to run the football against a team that has been awfully stingy in that department. Also, Jacksonville at 2-4 and four facing the Bengals 0-6. Our fourth game to discuss here as the Jaguars, I mean, listen, they make this major trade now. Jalen Ramsey's gone. You wonder if that how it impacts things. As far as the Bengals' offense is concerned, 11 turnovers. They have one game with 100 yards rushing. That was 108 versus Arizona, and that's one of the reasons why they're 0-6 right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, there's nothing in the numbers that say that Cincinnati should do anything. Their defense is basically just non-existent. They can't create, a, they can't cover. They've only created six turnovers. They've allowed over 50 percent on third down. You know, they've allowed 500 yards the last two weeks, an average of 500 yards the last two weeks. And four of their six losses have been by six points or less. But really, it's only because they backdoor cover. You know, and I think Jacksonville's defense has got to show up and play. I think they've got to find a way to play and rush the passer. They've been good on third down, but they really and other than the Chiefs game, they haven't allowed very many big plays, only 8 over 8 yards per attempt. So that's only the Chiefs game that they've done that. I think Gardner Minshew gets it back because this is the best recipe for a Jacksonville offense is to go against a really bad defense. I'll lay the points and I'll take Jacksonville because I don't think the road matters as much anymore, especially in in Jack, in Cincinnati. There's no real it's not a hostile environment there. You can go in there and play. I think Jacksonville will play better on the road than they do at home anyway.
1: Bengals defense right now just can't cover anybody. Six turnovers all year. 15 for 28 allowed on third down. That's a killer. Last game to discuss right now, Chargers at the Titans. Both of these teams, Mike, are two and four. I did see uh, some comments here. People were tweeting in about the Chargers, and, I mean, that's one of those that you called it. You said, look at their offensive line. They're not very good. And meantime, for Tennessee, Marcus Mariota benched last week. We're going to discuss more about Mariota and what that means for the organization moving forward. But, in terms of this, I mean, the quarterback could be Tannehill. I mean, who's playing for the Chargers? Tennessee, worst team in the NFL in allowing negative plays. 14 more than the next closest team. It's at 58.
2: Yeah, that, that's the difference between Tennessee and the Raiders, right? Tennessee wants to run the ball. The Raiders want to run the ball. But here's the difference. Gruden's been able to coordinate a running game where he doesn't allow negative plays. Tennessee can't do that, i.e. that's the difference between Arthur Smith and John Gruden. Gruden can figure out how to get his back clean to the hole. Arthur Smith can't. Arthur Smith can't figure out how come they're blitzing us in a run formation and taking away what we're doing. So that's really the issue here. And I think Tannehill gives them a lift. I think when you watch Mariota, he can't make any plays. And I think Delaney Walker's dying on the vine here. I think it's really bad that they've been able to do it. And I think with this defense, I mean, this defense, the last games, they gave up 16, 14, 10, 20, 19, 13. It's hard to score points on this defense. They're really good. They're really good. And where Phillip Rivers, I think, is slipping, he's a yard below where he was last year, yards per attempt, and he's 14 points below his quarterback rating. But here's the key component. His numbers reflect more of his the last five years than they do the last year. Last year might have been the aberration. This year isn't.
1: Wizen Hunt revenge game as well, too, right? Could be something to look forward to there.
2: No doubt, no doubt. Before we go, I want to just – I'm probably going to bail on my Bears-Saints pick there. I would say that. I would include the 49ers. Here's what I think. I think the 49ers Washington game's fascinating in this sense. Okay, let me just take the line first. Niners are minus 10.
1: They're 5 and 0 taken on Skins team 1 and 4. Go ahead. Yeah, man.
2: let me just look here to tonight. It's actually it's gone down to a lot of 9 9 and a halfs, okay? So I think anything below 10, I would take it. I think Kyle Shanahan's coming for Bear. I think what, what the Redskins did to his dad and what he would experience there, I think this line's too low. Just me. Everybody else in the world is all all over Washington. I mean everybody's all over Washington. everybody thinks Washington's going to cover this number. I don't I think that Washington's going to have a hard time because they can't move the football. They struggled to beat Miami last last week against Miami they were really bad they couldn't even run the ball again They talked about running the ball, but they couldn't do it. I mean and it, this won't be a home game for Washington. They'll be four, the 49er fans come out they come out in force. you know how are the Redskins going to move the football? The only way they lose this game is if they turn it over, and they turned it over against Tampa Bay and still won by 14. I like the 49ers. Scratch my Bears pick. Go there.
1: Okay, I like it. Make it a little uh, audible here on the fly. Uh, Coming up next as we continue here on GM Shuffle, Mariota bench in favor of Tannehill. Will Mariota start another game this season? We'll discuss it next.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly.
1: We will get to the GM Shuffle mailbag in just a second. Forget about tanking for Tua, maybe tanking for another player, plus talk about the Michigan-Penn State game. But first, it's time for Joe's question of the week. Go ahead, Joe.
0: Marcus Mariota lost his starting job due to a string of poor performances, and last week he was benched while in Denver. He used the word disappointed to describe his play, and now Ryan Tannehill is getting the go for this Sunday. Does Marcus Mariota have the tools to turn his career around or is he done as a starter in the NFL?
1: I think he's done as a starter. I mean, think about the fact, all that angst about Jameis Winston versus Mario at the top of the 2015 draft, and now all of a sudden you say, well, neither guy's going to work. Mariota, this is the fifth and final year of his rookie contract, Mike. He had a couple of picks in that game. Overall, in Tennessee's last three losses, he has led the offense to just 14 total points. It's fairly clear, I think, at this point that the guy had potential but he's just not a starter. You know, game planning, play calling, pass protection, there's all those things that have to go into it, and he does not have what it takes to be a quarterback to take you to the next level. It's the beginning of the end of his days in Nashville, certainly their number there. Does he get a chance to be a starter elsewhere? Maybe, maybe he can fight to be a starting quarterback, but no one's just going to give him the keys to the car the way they did in Tennessee.
2: No, and, and you know, this summer they were not they they knew this was going to come. They were the coaches on the staff. Now, I don't know if John Robinson who drafted Mariota was still convinced that he could. Mariota's a really good athlete. He's just not a good quarterback. He can't drive the ball down the field. He won't make plays down the field. And when people take away his ability to move in the pocket, he has nothing left he can go to. So, you know, I think he's a wonderful kid. He's a great kid. Backup role, I'm sure he'll do a good job. He can come in and kind of get fresh legs and come off. But I think his days as a starter, unless he goes to a team that can really rehabilitate him and run a conventional offense. Everybody said well, he's got to run the Chip Kelly offense. Well, Chip Kelly offense is kind of dead. Like Nobody's running that. Like That's not effective anymore. So I think it's over with. I think this Tennessee team is poorly designed. So that's the only caveat that lingers in the back of my mind. They're so bad on offense. But Mariota, when he has a chance, you know, he just doesn't seem to have enough to do it. And the Tennessee coaches all summer. I mean, look, they didn't bring Tannehill to take the job. That's what they said. But Tannehill gives them a better chance to win. And their defense is good enough to win. I mean, the defense is good enough to be in the conversation for the sixth spot. But they're not good enough on offense, especially they get too many negative plays. They can't get the ball going. They can't run the ball. They can't do what they have to do. I think, I think Tannehill will make them a better team this week. And I think Mariota is more of a backup.
1: All right, now it's time for the GM Shuffle mailbag. As always, you can email us the GM Shuffle. Excuse me, the GM Shuffle at Gmail.com. The GM Shuffle at Gmail.com. Hey guys, you guys talked about tanking for Tua, maybe tanking for Herbert. I think the Bengals should draft Herbert because he can play well in an AFC North environment. But Mr. Lombardi, what are your reservations? Also, I think Mike Brown is a Regal owner. Excellent use of Regal. This is from
2: Evan. What do you got, Mike? Yeah. I like that. Well done, Mike Brown's an old school guy. You know, Mike Brown is is actually I think the the league has come back to Mike Brown. Mike Brown's a football guy. Now he hasn't made very good football decisions here. I'm not sure that Zach Taylor's ready to be a head coach. Maybe Mike Brown will grow into him. This has a lot of the David Shula look to it to me. Some of the listeners probably don't remember when David Shula became the head coach of the Bengals. He was a really young coach. Mike Brown kind of saw himself in David Shula, the son of a legendary coach. You know, kind of came in there and hired D- David. And David really wasn't ready. And David wasn't ready to be a head coach, let alone an offensive coordinator. I think this Zach Taylor has a lot of feel to that right now for me. Uh, look, a lot of unsure. I think Ryan Finley gives them a chance. I think. I think to answer your question, Evan, I think you have to see where we are with Ryan Finley. Like I think Ryan Finley showed this summer, he's got real potential to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Now I know it was the summer and I know it was the preseason, but I don't know if you can draft somebody until you know what you have with somebody else. And I think the Brown family and the Bengals will definitely draft a quarterback. I could see him taking Herbert. I could definitely see that. But I think the Andy Dalton the era is over in Cincinnati after this year as well because I think they're going to have to move on.
1: Yeah, Big Red just hasn't got it done there, unfortunately. Last one, a little college football talk. Mike, you're focusing on Michigan-Penn State.
2: Yeah, I, you know – Michigan to me is so disappointing. You know, when you look at the, and you look at some of these hard decisions, like, you know, McCaffrey, the quarterback of Michigan is a really good player. He doesn't play. They play Shea Patterson. Like, why is Dabo Sweeney able to make hard decisions? And some of these other people, whether it's Jacksonville, whether it's Michigan, you know, why is it so hard to not play the right quarterback? Like, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm playing Ryan Finley. You know, I'm not going to play Andy Dalton. Look, I'm playing my best. You know, now I know the offensive line in Cincinnati's a disaster, but I think I think Penn State's really good. I think Sean Clifford's played really well for them. I think they're highly skilled. They're highly skilled on offense. I think their defense is really good, and I think Michigan is not very good at all. I really like Penn State in this game. I think Penn State's a really good football team this year.
1: James Franklin going to be fired up for that game. Certainly a huge one there when it comes towards the Big Ten East. Once again, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for all the love here for GM Shuffle. Mike, next time we'll get a mention in for Ted Sorensen. What do you think?
2: Yeah, we definitely should. Because I think somebody needs to get Ted Sorensen back to write letters and write speeches. I Just, just an observation. We'll see you next time.